Gerda, was like any other young girl growing up in Poland in the 1920s and 30s. Born to Julius and Helena Weissman in the city of Bielsko, she had a relatively normal childhood. Upper middle class, happy family. Her father had some heart problems, but nothing that wouldn't heal with time. Everything seemed good. That is, until the German troops invaded in 1939. I'm Scott Beyer, and this is the Love Better Podcast, where we explore the truths and the lies about love, and more importantly, how to turn love into a skill, something we can get better at and hone along the way. And today, in order to understand love, we need to talk about Gerda and a door that she didn't open. Due to Gerda's father's heart problems, the family stayed when the German tanks rolled in and other Jewish families fled. Doctors had advised that he not be moved or subjected to undue stress, and their immobility put them right in the middle of the maelstrom that we know as the Holocaust, the mass murder of six million Jews by Nazi Germany. Her father, Julius, was sent to a death camp in 1942. Her mother was sent to one not long after. Gerda herself almost ended there when she tried to chase down the truck and reunite with her mother. She failed, and instead of a death camp, she was placed on a trek headed for a labor camp. Gerda spent the next three years working under deplorable conditions at a textile mill in Silesia, followed by forced labor camps in Marsdorf, Landshut, and Greenberg. And then, on a spring day in May of 1945, the Americans rolled in and liberated her and the other women in the labor camp. The following is a two-minute excerpt from an interview with Gerda Klein from the USC Shoah Foundation's audio and video archives. I stood in the doorway of that fact. I knew I was free, but somehow the reality of it, uh, you know, I prayed for it for six years, in every waking hour. And I, I couldn't, I couldn't absorb the wonder of, of perhaps freedom until crushing, almost overwhelming joy by seeing a strange car coming down a hill. No longer green. The white star of the American army on its hood and two men in unfamiliar uniforms sat in it. I stood in the doorway and one of them, we gathered him to be Americans, jumped out and he came toward me. One of, of those men that sat in that jeep came toward me. And I was looking at him with incredible awe, disbelief. But I was looking at someone who fought for us. Of course, I was terribly frightened what, you know, what his reaction would be if I tell him we are Jewish. But I felt him I had to tell him. So I looked at him and I said, we are Jewish, you know. He didn't answer me, which seemed to me eternity. And then he said, so am I. This was the greatest moment of my life. Then he asked an incredible question. He asked if he could see the other ladies. 
obviously a form of address we hadn't known and heard. And I told him that most of the girls were inside, they were too ill to walk. He asked me to come with him, I didn't know what he meant. He held the door open for me and let me proceed him. And restored me to humanity again. And he has been holding the door open for me now for 50 years, my husband. His name? Gerd Klein. Gerd Klein has told her story in multiple venues and in multiple ways. But it always comes down to those same two things. Her now husband, Kurt Klein, that American soldier, called them ladies, and then he held the door for her. Those are two very small things. He couldn't somehow wipe her memory of the events, and he couldn't remove the atrocities she had experienced. But he could offer her two small things, dignity and kindness. There were many things he couldn't do, but those he could offer. And Kurt Klein's act of kindness and dignity reminds me of one of the most beautiful displays of love Jesus ever received. Less than two days away from his arrest and crucifixion, in the city of Bethany, two miles east of Jerusalem, Jesus sat around a table eating one of the last meals he would ever enjoy this side of the cross. Surrounded by friends, he had retreated to Bethany for a short reprieve before the fireworks that lay ahead. In the midst of this meal, something peculiar happens. An unnamed woman brings in a vial of costly perfume, and she begins to pour it on Jesus. She washes his feet with it, She pours it upon his head. And the disciples, unnerved, begin to squabble over whether this is an appropriate use of funds. After all, they could have sold the perfume. They could have given the money to the poor. This seems like quite the extravagance in light of the relative scarcity the apostles themselves typically live with as they traveled from town to town with Jesus. The apostles even go so far as to begin to scold her for her waste and luxury. The following is Jesus' answer to them. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you wish you can do good to them, But you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for the burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. Mark 14, 6-9 This anonymous woman had been listening. She'd heard Jesus say he was going to die. She had heard his warnings that the end was drawing near. Ironically, she had been doing a better job listening than Jesus' own apostles had. So what do you do for someone you love when they're facing the worst? There was so much the woman couldn't do. She couldn't take the crucifixion away. 
She couldn't suffer for him. She couldn't stop it. But she could anoint him for burial. She could give him a luxury before he faced an atrocity. She did what she could. That's a clarion call to love, if ever I heard one. Love does what it can. And since we're already doing Holocaust stories, I'm going to add another. The tale of Francine and two pieces of chocolate. Francine Christoph was born in 1933, the year that Hitler took power. Francine and her mother were held in a camp in Bergen-Belsen. They were allowed to bring a small sack of items with them from their home in France. In those meager possessions, they had two pieces of chocolate. They decided to save the chocolate for the very worst of times. The chocolate became their emotional lifeline, a little bit of cacao hope in the darkness. One day, as the situation got grimmer, rations thinner, and hope faded, a woman in the camp who was pregnant, but so thin you couldn't hardly tell, came due to give birth. Francine and her mother, well, they made a decision. The chocolate, their two pieces of chocolate, might save this woman's life. Might. And turns out they were right. The woman and the baby lived with a little bit of added sustenance and calories. Years later, Francine, a grown woman, gave a lecture on the effects of the Holocaust. She told her story to an audience, and a woman from Marseille stood up and told her, I owe you a chocolate bar. I'm that baby. If we're going to love better, we're going to have to stop worrying about what we can't do and start doing what we can. We can't end world hunger, but we can feed one person. We can't remove all suffering, but we can sit with those who are. We can't fix a world that doesn't treat women with dignity, but we can treat women like ladies ourselves. Love isn't about what you can't do. It is about what you can. The word could, you know, she has done what she could. It comes from the old English word kunen, which means to know or to be able to. In short, in order to know what you could do, you have to know what you are able to do. Everyone's life is limited. Even billionaires would run out of money at some point. You have limitations to your time, your skills, your finances. You can't be everywhere at once, and you can't be everyone's best friend or everyone's helper, but you can be someone's best friend and someone's helper. In Paul's letter to the churches of Galatia, he says, So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Love needs opportunities, but oftentimes it only needs little opportunities to do something profound. Opportunities like that little old lady trying to make it out to her car with the groceries, and you happen to be leaving at the same time, so... You have an opportunity to help. 
or that spare 15 minutes between meetings that you didn't expect that leaves you time to text your wife and tell her she matters. Or that moment at the elevator that allows you a little time for conversation with that coworker you don't know that well. Or the sickness that allows us to show our love for the Christian that is always helping others but now needs us. Five minutes of your time to help your child with a problem that's big to them but small to you. One small stamp to mail someone a handwritten letter. Ten minutes in the morning to pray for people. Fifteen extra feet of walking to put the grocery cart away. Or the ten extra seconds to say thank you while looking someone in the eyes and meaning it. It isn't always what you do with large amounts of time. It is what you do with small amounts of it. Jesus said it this way, He who is faithful in little is faithful in much. Stop worrying about loving big. Love little. Because the little stuff matters. We tend to underestimate two things when it comes to love. We underestimate our ability to make a difference, and we underestimate how much others notice the little things. Jesus noticed the widow who gave two mites in Mark 12, And he reminds us that even giving a cup of cold water in the name of discipleship is worthy of a reward in Matthew chapter 10. I don't often tell personal anecdotes on this podcast, but I will tell you the most significant financial gift I have ever received was $1.18. Back in 2012, when we were in the process of adopting one of our daughters, we had to quickly hop on a plane and fly across the country to meet our beautiful little two-year-old. It all was happening really fast. Things were hectic, and just as we were about to walk out the door, a boy from the congregation and his parents showed up on our doorstep. The parents had come with a generous gift of funds collected from Christians in the congregation to help us. And this little boy at their side, who had heard all about how everyone was helping our family bring our daughter home, stood at my back door reached into his pocket and pulled out with his tiny fist four quarters, one dime, one nickel, and three pennies. One dollar and 18 cents. I've been blessed so many times financially in our family's adoption journeys, but nothing has ever topped that one dollar and 18 cents. And from that day forward, The widow with the two mites and the unnamed woman who anointed Jesus have made a whole lot more sense to me. He gave what he could. For that kid, his $1.18 was his whole life savings. The finances didn't change things that much, but his love sure did. Learn to love better. Love where you can. If you've listened this far, hopefully we've done something to help make your life a little bit better. Would you mind returning the favor and helping us by subscribing to the podcast through your favorite platform? By sharing with others or leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, you help us reach more people. Also, if you want more information about the work I'm doing at Eastland, visit us at eastlandchristians.org or my personal Bible site, biblegrad.com, where you can sign up for daily Bible devotionals called Bible Bites and receive them in your email each morning. Take online Bible classes or find videos that will help you study your way through the Bible throughout the year. And until next time, 
Remember you are loved. So go love better. <laughs>